What up, Dope Black family? Hey, he's here. About to stream uh, Professor Black Truth's newest uh, content. The real reason Don Lemon was fired. This ought to be good. 20 minutes, 54 seconds. Hope you enjoy it. I'm sure I will. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. So now we're hearing the real reason Don Lemon got fired from CNN. It was because he checked this Vivek Ramaswamy clown live on air. I want to give credit to your world, a.k.a. Mr. Harvey, for having spoken on this a day ago. And if you're not already listening to his channel, it comes highly recommended. And he was one of, though arguably the first person, to point out that it was Don Lemon, of all people, checking that racist Ramaswamy clown on the air and even defying his own producers who were yelling into his earpiece that he shouldn't say anything, and that that's what got him fired. Now, for those of you who don't know this Ramaswamy person, he thinks he's going to be riding the anti-black racism train to glory. Of course, you can see a pattern forming. Everybody's running not against the Democratic Party, but against black people. And this Ramaswamy clown's trying to join the performative extremist Olympics that the GOP is hosting right now. He's not running on low taxes or higher spending for the military. He's running against black people. And he's trying to be as ridiculously absurd with that as he can, saying that he will say what the experience of black people is, because apparently he knows more about being black than black people do. And of course, his idea of black is uh, there is no racism. There's no problems at all. Black people just make this stuff up. And this guy's been at this for a while. I mean, he talks all kinds of trash about black people. And when he was on CNN, he repeated his tired, stale, pathetic spiel, like how he claimed that compared to 1865 or 1964, black people absolutely have equal rights in this country. Compared to that, that's a hell of a large spread of time, isn't it? A hundred years? In one case, you have black people in literal chains, and in the other, the chains were forged throughout the social institutions, and those chains have yet to be broken. Using his line of rhetoric, he could easily have said that compared to 1865, black people in the 1960s had equal rights. You can compare anything to chattel slavery and say, oh, well, hell, you've got it good compared to that, don't you? I mean, it's hard to have less rights than being in chains and literally treated, abused, and murdered as mere property, right? After 1865, black people could vote, allegedly, and own land, allegedly, and run for public office, allegedly, and move about the nation freely, allegedly. So compared to pre-1865, didn't black people absolutely have equal rights? Of course not. And the 1960s proved it. His talking points contradict themselves, and they only sound good to racists who dismiss the reality of racism that they carry out and promote. But it doesn't work anywhere else. But if, as he says, we have to be able to talk about these issues in the open regardless of the color of our skin, which means we should be able to talk trash about black people regardless of who's doing it. You shouldn't call it racism. Well, if those are the rules, then I think that he and those who agree with him ought to be able to agree that they can take their own medicine. Because I've got some questions I'd like to ask, regardless of the color of my skin. I want to know why is it that so many Asians, especially Southern Asians, like Ramaswamy and Mickey Haley and Bobby Jindal and Dinesh D'Souza and even Mindy Kaling's brother and Kamala Harris, all of these are first-generation immigrants who are only able to come to the U.S. because black people made it possible for them to get here. We change the policies. 
and we also made it possible for them to get jobs and an education when they got here. They had opportunities that we made possible. They didn't fight for them. They weren't even here. We were the ones who did the heavy lifting. We did all that. And yet when they get here, so many of them are tripping over their shoelaces to prove to the white supremacists that they're on the team. Why is that? That's a discussion we should have. Oh, you shouldn't be saying that. Uh, you're not Asian. Well, we've already had our good buddy Ramaswamy said we got to be able to have these discussions regardless of the color of our skin. Okay, great. That's going to go for everyone, right? Of course not. It's only supposed to go for black people, it means. And everyone understands that. It's been a fact of American society since at least the mid-19th century when the first major waves of European immigrants began to arrive that whenever some new group shows up, they are made aware very quickly that the only way that they're going to be able to quote-unquote assimilate is for them to show that they understand what American means. And that means they got to attack black people. From the Irish emigres who had been enslaved and brutalized by the British for centuries, but when they got to the U.S., they put all of that aside immediately and started with the draft riots, killing black people, lynching black people in the streets, all the way up to the present. The litmus test for immigrants to prove that they can get on the good side of the dominant society is to attack us. And everybody understands that's the price of admission if you want for the white supremacists to go ahead give you honorary oppressor status. They, everyone understands that. Congressman Ro Khanna of California is about the only one who I've seen who has actually bumped that trend and admitted that black people fought for the immigration reforms that made it possible for people like Ramaswamy to even be here. And that we fought for the opportunities that made it possible for him to even be able to run for public office. But what I want to know is, why is Ro Khanna the only one saying that? Shouldn't there be a whole army of Asians saying that? Because that is the history. That's the question. And speaking of discussions that we really ought to be having, the white media is finally pulling up the rear and asking if maybe Don Lennon's rebuke of the Ramaswamy chunk was the reason to see it in fire. Yeah, like I said two days ago, that whole canard that the white media had been spreading about how, well, the reason was that he offended middle-aged white soccer moms with his past her crime remarks about Nikki Haley. That didn't sound right at all to me. It sounded and smelled like white media spin. They wanted a flimsy pretense that they could use, and they went with that one. But this one, the one about Ramaswamy, that makes a heck of a lot more sense. CNN has been moving to the right for a while now, and they haven't been making much of a secret out of it. Everyone can see it. Their ratings have been floundering for years, and it's really gotten bad the last couple of years, and now they're changing their business model. They want to see if there's any disaffected social conservatives who they can lure into watching them. They've been taking some digs at black people for a while now, making it clear that CNN knows what these racist white right viewers want to see, and that CNN's willing to serve it up to them. I mean, they're not even being subtle about it. CNN has never been left-wing or even left-leaning. Don't kid yourself. CNN has always been right of center, way right, with a few token people of color, but only for the optics. But don't let anyone tell you that there's some liberal network. That's a lie. Ted Turner is a card-carrying lover of the Confederacy. He was the one who produced that homage to the Confederacy called Gods and Generals, that reeking pile of celluloid. I guess he thought that he was going to take the wind out of Gettysburg's sails and try to catch the wave on that one, but he didn't. Though what he did do was he exposed himself for shamelessly trying and failing to rehabilitate the image of the traitors who attempted to overthrow the U.S. government. Ted Turner's an unreconstructed confederate. 
And that shows in the nature of the so-called news network that he started. So now that CNN is running hard to the right, what they want is to show those would-be social conservative viewers who would ordinarily never consider watching CNN that they will now have all manner of anti-black racism on their airwaves. And in fact, they will be allowed to spread whatever racist filth they want and CNN won't allow anyone to check them or even question them. Bringing on an out-and-out racist like Ramaswamy was part of CNN's messaging to the white right. But so was firing Don Lemon for checking them. Though, let's not kid ourselves. The last thing I want to do is make a saint out of a sinner. Don Lemon was as much part of the problem CNN as anyone. But if I had to guess, I'd say that he was aware that CNN was looking for a way to get him out of there. So he figured he might as well not take any disrespect if he didn't have to. Don Lemon, like all but a handful of these black celebrities, doesn't see blackness the same way you and I do. We know that blackness applies to us as a group, but these Negro celebrities like Don Lemon and Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock and the congressional black talkers, they see blackness as a personal phenomenon. So when they talk about being black and they use phrases like the black experience, they're not talking about us as a group. They're talking about themselves personally. Even when you hear them saying something that references a black person or a black group other than themselves, that doesn't mean they're standing up for black people. Far from it. Dave Chappelle wasn't standing up for black people, neither was Chris Rock. And I think we can all agree Don Lemon certainly never has. This was not Don Lemon having discovered morality and principles after 17 years. This was a guy who had already been demoted from his nighttime show. He had that taken away from him. And now he was stuck on a panel show in the morning. Just another member of the staff. Just another one of the girls. And he was probably waiting for the other shoe to drop. From the time between when CNN took his little nighttime show from him and when they finally fired him, do you think that it was all just hugs and sunshine up there at CNN Central? No. We can only imagine what kind of contentious conversations and arguments have been going on behind the scenes. Chris Cuomo didn't leave under peaceful circumstances, and I sincerely doubt that Don Lemon did either. The enemy is circling the wagons. They're showing us who and what they've always been, so when you see the white right claiming that they oppose the so-called liberal media, just understand that for them, that's nothing more than branding. The similarities far outweigh any minor rhetorical differences between them. There's a reason Jake Tapper and Mike Smirconish still have their shows on CNN. Jake Tapper is a conservative, and Mike Smirconish is a conservative talk show host. And let's not forget about Allison Camerata, who not so long ago was on Fox News. That's where CNN is getting their talent from these days, such as they are. The way the white media has tried to do things is to let one side say whatever they want, which is usually whatever is in white media's interest. And then they might have one person on the other side of so-called opposing view, but the person they choose is usually a clown like Michael Eric Dyson. But on the occasion when they accidentally put someone on who demolishes their chosen champion, what they do is they limit how much time that person is allowed to speak for the segment, and after that, they don't bring them back on again. They schedule a five-minute segment, they let some racist or some apologist for anti-black racism give their spiel, and if the other person knocks down those talking points, the white media will let their guy filibuster for the rest of the segment. That's how it goes. Even under the best of circumstances, the only thing a process like that would produce is to leave the viewer to split the difference. And the white media wants it that way because that creates the false impression that both sides have a point. And the end result of that is it favors the status quo. 
a status quo that is blatantly anti-black, anti-justice, and intolerable. But with the pressure the black grassroots have been bringing to bear, they're forced to abandon any phony pretense of objectivity. They now need to make it clear it's only going to go one way. It's like I've always told you, the white media isn't in the business of entertainment or news. They're in the business of mind control. And the talking points and false narratives they promote in their media is a key part of that control. Don Lemon made the mistake of thinking that he could talk back to Massa. That's because he'd been around their plantation so long, he started to think of himself as an honorary overseer. And they showed him that he wasn't. A lesson to all of you wannabe bootlegs who listen, who lurk around these parts, and you think that this is going to be the come up? White power's favorite pleasure is to humiliate and degrade people. There are a few things the white supremacists love as much as a cruel prank, especially one that takes a long time to pay off, like, say, 17 years. They get to savor every day of seeing the mark who they're going to humiliate, walk around them and think everything is okay while they're sitting there just rubbing their hands and going, oh, God, when we go ahead and drop the boom on this idiot, it's going to be epic. It's going to crush them. Those black people you see on Fox News, they have to come in for some abuse on a regular basis. That's a big part of why Fox's degenerate viewers tune in, and CNN wants to replicate the same circumstances. They want to openly just lecture black people and condescend to us, and for there to be some buck-broken Negro on camera, preferably a black male, who just sits there and says nothing while all this abuse and vitriol is happening. I vaguely remember Allison Camerata doing some blatant white splaining a little while back about some issue or other, and Victor Blackwell just sitting there saying nothing. It was clearly scripted as hell, but awkward to watch. Well, awkward for decent people, that is. But they're making it clear they don't want news. They don't want truth. They don't even want reality. They want to be able to do their dirt and have black people not say anything about it. For the last few years, which is actually the first time in decades, Black people have been getting them told, and that's because of the new black media. We pioneered and promoted a different type of discourse, one geared around having our say and not letting all these anti-black racists slide anymore. And what's happened is these bootlicks white power have on the payroll whose job it is to blacksplain why such and such racist person or racist incident wasn't really so bad, they can't openly operate like that anymore because we have reached enough people now where they get pushed back. People have been encouraged by what they see us doing. They understand that they're not alone. They understand that a lot of people see the BS and they're not having it. We're disrupting business as usual. You are disrupting business as usual. Black empowerment is like truth serum. It forces everyone to declare where they stand. People can try to put up a front, but as we assert ourselves, they'll have no choice but to show what they truly believe. Black empowerment is the only thing that's going to change the status quo, the only thing that will bring about justice. The people who actually want justice will stand with us and they will echo this message. And the people who only wanted to appear to want justice, they're going to be so threatened by what they see us doing, which is the prospect of justice actually happening, that they're going to reveal who they are and fight it. So now we've got a clearer picture of why Don Lemon was given the heave-ho. And notice MSNBC, your so-called left-leaning network, hasn't said a word about this. But then again, why would they? They're operating out of the same playbook CNN is. They purged their black puppets until all they got left now is Joey Reed, Simone Sanders, Jonathan Capehart, and occasionally Al Sharpton. No word from MSNBC about their ostensibly sister network clearly moving to the right. 
professional courtesy, I suppose. Surely you would think that Joy Reid would call out the hypocrisy or Jonathan Capehart maybe. If the problem is that the right wing has become nothing more than the front office for American fascism, then the CNN making this move to the right would surely be newsworthy. They would have to look and say, man, the times are changing. Look what CNN's doing. Surely they have the ability to call it out, right? Because that's the problem, right? They can call out CNN making their channel into a safe space for anti-black racists, can't they? Apparently not. And that tells you everything you need to know about the management of MSNBC. They don't mention it for the same reason that the Democrats never call out these right-wing think tanks, because Democrats use the same tactics. Their job is to put forward an illusion of choice, and that's a crucial element of mass mind control. People only rebel and only tear down the power structure when they feel they have no other choice. So it's paramount to con the people into thinking that they have someone who's going to speak for them or act in their interests. That way, the people will just sit on their hands while they continue to be stripped of what few rights and few opportunities they had left, starting with the opportunity to change things. You have no real option at the ballot box any more than you do with the television box. See, Don Lemonade learned the hard way that his white media paymasters never liked him and never respected him. And you can bet all the rest of these cable news Negroes have been put on notice what can and most likely will happen to them if they speak out of turn. Their little old cable news show is the best job they've ever had. It pays well and it lets them pimp the occasional books that they scribble out. But they know that they can't challenge the status quo. They can barely mildly criticize it. Don Lemon defied his white producers one time for a single instant. That was all it took for them to say, okay, now he's going out the door. And to cover CNN's tracks, you see the rest of the white media, even your so-called white alternatives and such, they've been all towing the exact same line. Well, let's go ahead and dirty Don Lemon up. Yeah, anything but telling the truth. And the few remaining handful of Negroes at these white media stations, they are fully aware that there's a revolving door when it comes to these TV networks. The white producers and editors and vice presidents of these cable networks switch from one network to the other the same way their viewers switch from one channel to the other. The same white producers who can Don Lemon could be at MSNBC next month and vice versa. Don Lemon has finally figured out too late that he didn't have the luxury of believing things about the nature of the propaganda on the white supremacy that weren't true. He was willfully confused. But we can't afford to leave. The so-called liberal media is slowly but surely exposing what they've always been, and it has been specifically the issue of black people that has made them reveal the truth. At least the few dunderheads who still clung to the lie that CNN wasn't trying to become the next Fox News, they just got proved wrong again. As Dr. Noam Chomsky said, it's the most sophisticated form of propaganda when something presents itself as opposition, when in reality it's actually support. The minor things that the so-called right-wing and left-wing media argue over, even things like the 2020 election, that's just them having minor bickering and spitballing about which one of them is going to hold the whip. There's absolutely no argument amongst them about who that whip is going to be used against. Why is it this way? Well, what you're seeing is not people who are angry. What you're seeing is power tripping. They're trying to prove that they still have the power to strike at us, like a criminal who burns down a house just to prove to himself that he can do it. They haven't gone off the deep end. They went over it a long time ago, and it's no use in trying to call them back, though some have been silly enough to try it. 
The sin here wasn't that Don Lemon was working at CNN. That's not a sin at all. The sin was he didn't want to be honest with himself about the nature of what it was he was doing. He wanted to pretend as if there was something virtuous about it. He had no problem bringing black people in for some abuse until his white paymasters made it clear that they were tired of looking at him. And at that point, he finally figured out what everyone else knew all along. And I'll bet you anything that Don Lemon, when he's crying in his pillow, he's going to be wishing that he hadn't let them play him for such a fool. But the reality is the white media, these white supremacists, they know they're Negroes. They know when they got themselves a pretty dumb one who's going to go along with the okie doke until they finally kick him in the behind. By then, it's going to be too late for him to do anything about it. No matter what you want to think about him, Don Lemon is living proof that ignorance is bliss and stupidity is divine. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Starlet Thompson, Sherman Marshall, Moshe Ben Abraham, Keegan Compton, and Sakina Collins. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Some people that were talking about reparations in this country, they wanted reparations. And I remember I made this particular liberal so angry at me because I told them right to their face, nobody owes you anything for slavery. If you want to tell the truth about it, it is you who owes. It's you who owes. Why do you owe? Because somebody in those fields took stripes for you. Somebody after those fields were ended and slavery was ended. Somebody had to walk through Jim Crow for you. Somebody fought wars and died for you. Somebody lived less than because they didn't have what you have and they did it for you. There are people in their graves right now and they are there because they were willing to stand up and fight for you. Those folks on the Edmund Pettus Bridge carrying American flags, take that Colin Kaepernick, living in a society that he could scarcely acknowledge, something that he has never known, living with a bigotry that none of us can imagine, carrying American flags on that bridge. And when they were hit upside the head with night sticks and shot with water hoses and knocked to the ground, they got up and picked those flags up and kept marching. And they did it for you. Nobody owes you anything. If anybody owes, it's you. Because you've been the benefactor of freedom. You are the one that owes. This is Mark Robinson. He's currently the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, and he's trying to ride the coon train all the way to the governor's mansion. He's got a history of saying stupid stuff, and it looks like he's going for a personal best. When I saw this clip, I laughed like you did when he said that the people talk about reparations, they're the ones who owe. Somebody should tell stupid that in order to owe, first you have to have received something illegitimately, or the person would have to have done something that requires them to make recompense to somebody. So what have we ever received? This country gave millions of acres of free land to people who were white. 
gave free government education to people classified as white, housing at extremely low rates, new housing funded by government money in the suburbs just for them, low interest business loans and a potpourri of other goodies, giveaways and guarantees set aside for those classified as white. And what have we done that requires us to make recompense to anybody? Who have we enslaved? Who did we discriminate against? Who did we segregate? Who did we bar from the formal opportunities that exist? Whose churches were we firebombing? Whose neighborhoods did we destroy? To say nothing of the white supremacist mobs who are allowed to kill entire towns full of black people and not be punished. The black people who Robinson was screaming about saying that we owe them, they were the ones who were marching for reparations. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farm. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. Those black people who Robinson was lying about they were the ones trying to get us reparations, and we're continuing the struggle that they began. So that's what we're doing, reminding America that they owe us. But just understand, this is who the political parties like to see, both the left and the right, because we are owed, and we will collect. And I'm sure it's very easy to dismiss this Robinson clown, because he is ridiculous on his face. When you have someone who's the loudest and the wrongest in the room, it's difficult to take him seriously. But he knows he's running a finesse. He knows that the novelty of a black man screaming anti-black talking points is like catnip for the mental midgets who comprise the Republican Party base. The Republican Party is not a political party. It's nothing more than a joint chorus of phony outrage and complaints over wrongs that were never done to them. Their only policy, if it can be called that, is indulging phony white grievance. Since the blowhards on Fox News and the white right-wing radio shows set the tone for what the GOP has to do to get attention from their perverted degenerate base, they're competing with each other to see who can out-crazy the other crazies, who can outdo the other in terms of shameless racism. This Robinson fool knows exactly who he's played to. They used to want alternative facts, but at this point, they don't even want alternative facts anymore. They just want pure fantasy. This guy listed all the things from slavery to Jim Crow that white racists have done against black people in this country. And you know that audience of KKK alumni he was talking to were loving taking that stroll down memory lane. If Robinson wants to talk about all the black people who were killed for trying to assert their basic rights, hell, the people he was talking to in that audience in all likelihood were some of the perpetrators. All the things he listed are the things they're proud of. Don't think he didn't know that, by the way. And then he took a page right out of John Lewis's playbook, saying that when those racists knocked down the black civil rights activists, those activists got up, picked up the flag, and kept marching. 
fuck that. He man. talks about black people who were carrying American flags. Yeah, the people that he was talking to in that audience, they revere the Confederate flag. The people he was talking to in that audience were the ones who were attacking those civil rights activists. You can't leave that part of the story out, except that's exactly what he did. Yeah, sounds just like John Lewis and his I Spill Blood in Selma routine. Actually, it sounds more like when John Lewis said that he actually thanked the racist police thugs who assaulted him in the 60s and even thanked them for their service. Oh. So you see that whether it be the white right or the white left, Negroes in both political parties fully understand the tune they better sing if they want to have a chance of the political parties putting them on. One more thing, this fool said that we who are demanding reparations are the ones who owe because we're the benefactors of freedom. See, this is what happens when you and your political party decide to ban books. But then again, if you're a Republican, you don't have to worry about your audience being offended at that prospect. The racist who the GOP caters to can't read. And apparently neither can this Robinson clown. Because the word benefactor means someone or something that provides help or an advantage. One that confers a benefit. Well, at the very least, he got that part right. Because that definitely describes us to a T. We are the benefactors of freedom. Everything about this country that makes it where people are actually able to enjoy something resembling liberty was directly because of our effort and no one else's. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and everything else. These were not the results of the people like Robinson's trying to cater to. They were the ones who wanted to stonewall freedom. We were the ones who made that possible. The vague, hollow sham of freedom, quote-unquote, that America has is directly and owing solely to us. And without us, the little hollow caricature of freedom, quote-unquote, that America has wouldn't even exist. country wouldn't even have that much if it wasn't for us. It was our ancestor, Crispus Attucks, who was the first person to die in the events leading up to the Revolutionary War. The first casualty of the American Revolution was one of ours. It is the dominant society who owes us and has never paid. They owe for every war we took part in, without which they would have no nation and no freedom. The vast majority of those people who applauded Robinson, they had no ancestors who were even in the United States until the late 19th century. And they didn't come here to build wealth. The wealth already existed. They came across the oceans to take advantage of what was already here, what we had already created. They owe us for centuries of uncompensated labor that built the prosperity that they've enjoyed and didn't have to work for. They owe us for the century and a half that our tax dollars have gone to bootstrap their settlements, their townships, and their suburbs. Look it up. Black dollars from the inner city paid for the suburbs. Because of all of the uncompensated labor that black people gave to this country, the biggest contribution of labor that we made was working to try to create some sort of hollow shell of something resembling freedom, something resembling liberty, something resembling democracy. This country owes us for the centuries of uncompensated labor that built the prosperity and the sham of freedom that this nation's non-black citizens enjoy and didn't have to work for. They owe for every time that they stood in the way of progress, from Jim Crow to segregation to the lynchings, to the civil rights marches, to today. We are owed for every drop of innocent black blood that was spilled in our efforts to try to make this country resemble something like civilization. This Robinson fool doesn't mention the four little black girls burned to death in the 16th Street Baptist Church. He doesn't mention the freedom riders whose buses were firebombed. He doesn't mention all the lynchings. He doesn't mention Emmett Till. He only mentioned the people who suffered, but he didn't mention the people who died, certainly not by name. 
He didn't give us that rundown of the fatalities because that doesn't fit his lying narrative. Because if he started saying those names, he would have to go, oh, uh, you know, a lot of y'all applaud me right now. It turns out y'all do. Oh. He knows the kind of lies he's got to tell if he wants that room full of racists to even consider voting for him. And I guess he figures that because his little hustle was sufficient to get him to the lieutenant governor's position, a little bit more bootlicking with a little extra spit and why he could get the top slot. This is how low you got to stoop if you want the Republican Party to consider you for office. This is how low you got to go. And by the way, isn't it interesting how these bootlicking, butt-kissing, blowhard sellouts like David Clark and this Robinson clown are constantly talking about how black people have nothing to be angry about? But every time you see them, all they do is scream and yell and tell people that they're angry about what black people are demanding. These guys are the angriest people in the room. We know that it's all performative, though. They're putting on a show. When you look at Mark Robinson, you're seeing someone who's auditioning for a job. He knows that any old white candidate who comes along could easily knock him aside with a flick of their finger. So he has to do this. Grovel, beg, get on his hands and knees, lie about black people's history for the amusement of a putrid gang of prejudiced bigots. This is what happens when you're a bootleg. You can't have any self-respect. That's the first thing that's got to go. And you can't tell the truth either. You don't care about black people's struggle or history because you're only looking out for yourself. On the right, you pretend that the racism never existed, or if it ever did, it was a long time ago, and if it exists today, then it must be the Democrats or Antifa or BLM or anyone except for the GOP who gets caught week after week reminiscing about lynching black people like the degenerates in McCurtain County, Oklahoma did, and I'll be here till three in the morning listing them all. On the left side of the ledger, the bootlegs talk about how important everyone else's issues are and how important it is to do things for everybody except for black people. And they go on Twitter, in public, and make speeches where they openly invite everyone to ride on the coattails of our history and our suffering, saying that, well, what these people who showed up five minutes ago, their little minor complaints, why, that's just like Dr. King, that's just like the Freedom Riders. We have a unique history and a unique moral legitimacy. And we cannot allow everybody to decide that they're going to co-opt or otherwise lay claim to our history and try to palm themselves off as being the inheritors of our legacy. That is a historical fraud. We cannot allow it. Nobody else was enslaved except for us. Nobody else had to endure the black codes or any sort of racial codes except for us. Nobody else had gangs of white supremacist marauders going from coast to coast burning down their townships except for us. Nobody else was systematically told you cannot have any sort of justice for these wrongs done against you except for us. Nobody else was targeted with everything from poll taxes to literacy tests, which were nothing more than caprice for any racist poll officers that you can't vote. Nobody else was targeted like that except for us. And now we got people who have been engaging in a nonstop parade of claiming that their minor complaints are somehow comparable to our monumental oppression that's been going on from day one? I don't think so. Now, the white right is not crazy. They are indulgent, though. That's why people like this Mark Robinson fool put on the performances for them. These are not people who are concerned about the real issues that ought to concern them. After all, this country has handed them every crumb of their daily bread. They've been given everything they could ever want. Why should they worry? And now they want someone to assure them that they will freeze the world the way that it was so that they never have to compete because that's what terrifies them the most. That's the devil's bargain that white supremacy made with those classified as white. There will be no competition, especially not from black people. After 500 years of having everything handed to them, 
and being glorified in the media and lauded by politicians, social scientists, corporations, and even clergy for no reason, when someone threatens to make them actually have to earn a living, well, they're not going to take that very well. The cottage industry of bootlicks for the white right is shrinking, but these chumps haven't cultivated any other skill set, so they have to bootlick. Michael Steele was talking similar claptrap for the brief instant that he was RNC chairman. Not as vitriolic as this goofball, but he was still doing it. And now he's on MSNBC trashing the GOP daily. Bootlicks aren't hired guns. They're hired tongues. They will lick whatever boot that they think will give them the most money. And why is this Mark Robinson chump running against reparations in the first place? Because, like Ron DeSantis down in Florida, his handlers have told him this is a movement that's in the ascendancy. So you got to do something about it regardless. This is a top priority. If you win higher office, that's fine, but you got to take this one on regardless. Doesn't matter if it even costs you everything. You've probably seen that lately reparations has been trending on Twitter regularly. Somebody, Republican donors to be sure, see this as a threat. They got their people online just like the Democrats do. They monitor things like Twitter just to see what's trending. When they saw this, oh, I'm sure they were fit to be tied. Now, of course, the white supremacists are super ultra hypersensitive to anything that even remotely resembles a possible threat, much less challenge. So they react to things that aren't even dangerous to them. But in this case, they sent this buffoon out front and he's trying to be the candidate of anti-reparations. And he's running against us, is what that means. Now, when's the last time that I saw someone whining that people demanding reparations was dangerous and that they shouldn't be listened to? Oh, that's right. Joy Reid, when she had that stupid segment with Shereen Mitchell a few years back, attacking us as being Russian bots. And what was the rationale for this attack? Because we merely demand what we're owed. So you see that both the white right and the white left bring out their Negro sock puppets to attack our interests. They cannot lead the charge on that one themselves, so they have to get bootleg flunkies to do it for them. That's how their con works. They get some bootleg who they've got on their payroll, and then they put them on a TV station that they pay for or at a political rally that they pay for, and the bootleg attacks black people, and then they come along and pretend like, oh, you know, I, I just couldn't help but hear what it was he was saying about what you bears need to do. I was just happened to be within earshot. You know what? Since uh, people are talking about it, I just have to throw in my two cents, buddy. That's what they do. That's what the bootleg does for them, lays the groundwork for them to go ahead and butt in because that's what they wanted from the get-go. So we're seeing a concerted effort to undermine reparations. And it's happening because we're going into another election cycle. This shows you how much of a problem that at least the Republican Party consider reparations to be as a political issue. And they're attacking the people who are advocating for it. But you know who they weren't attacking? They're not attacking do-nothing groups led by Big Bird. He's a safe Negro. He gets put on TV or what have you because he's going to do white powers bidding. That's what he's there for. Now, the last sighting of Big Bird was when he was flapping his wings in Nashville for those two Democratic Party plants. He was supporting their little publicity stunt. And as fate would have it, two days ago, MSNBC had this empty sack of feathers back on. That's two times now that MSNBC has had this guy on, not because of anything he did, but merely because he was standing next to someone who had allegedly done something newsworthy. Now, the segment was on Ari Melber's show. Ari Melber, or as I like to call him, the king of cringe. He's not a total dumpster fire, but he is the most corny white anchorman on TV. He is so mega cringe when he constantly drops rap lyrics into his show for no real reason. 
which, by the way, he never does with any other group or any other time. It's only black people that he seems to think worthy of deciding that he's going to be dropping some Jay-Z lyrics in there or what have you. He makes it where whenever it comes down to talk about politics, well, let's go ahead and make it silly. This is more of that get your booty to the poll stuff. That's the well he draws from. He obviously thinks that it makes him sound hip or like he's down with black people, but it makes him seem like he's trying his hand at comedy and it's not working. And his regular appearances on the breakfast schlubs don't help him. Does he think it gives him street cred? I don't know how. All people see is that he's a corny anchor on MSNBC and the breakfast schlubs are a bunch of bootlicking tools. Ari Melber comes off as a less obnoxious version of Bill Maher. Just because he hasn't pulled the same mess as Maher and gone overboard taking liberties with our history and our culture doesn't mean that he won't do it. That train is never late. Now, the reason that Melber had Big Bird on in the first place was not to talk to him. It was because there was a rapper who had made a song about police brutality. So why the hell was Big Bird even there? He didn't make the video. He didn't produce it. Hell, he wasn't even a backup singer on the track. So why was he even there? It's because the black grassroots are talking. And the white media's attempts to try to prop up some new black front men isn't going over like they thought it would. They're getting considerable pushback, and they know who it's coming from. So the only thing that they can do is the same thing, just more of it. Let's go ahead and put Big Bird on more often because the last five or six times we had him on worked out so well. As for Ari Milber, he's just trying to increase his own viewership by appealing to the very young black people who creeps like Joe Weed and clowns like Jonathan Capehart and Tiffany Cross ran off. But you won't be surprised to know that during this very segment, not a word was said about reparations, not by Ari Milber and certainly not by Big Bird. So this is what your so-called head of the alleged nation's oldest reparations advocacy group did when he was on MSNBC. He says nothing about reparations. He didn't so much as breathe the word reparations when he was on Joy Reid's show two weeks ago and didn't dare say it when he was on Ari Milber's show two days ago. So what does that tell you? What that tells you is this is the reason the white media even puts his raggedy behind on TV. So much for your reparations advocate, right? Family, whenever you talk about the systematic racism that we face, we have to make sure that reparations comes up time and again. We gotta actually say that word. We have to remind people that the American police came out of the old slave catchers. Remind people that the KKK had a large police membership and that their various spinoff groups still do. We have to stop being bashful about saying reparations. That word makes all these other people scared and nervous because they know they owe us. And we have to make it a point to get comfortable with making other people uncomfortable because their comfort has come at the cost of our comfort, our well-being, and our lives. Well, I've got news for Ari Melber, Joy Reid, and the rest of the empty suits over at MSNBC. They can go ahead and put that guy on all they want. Hell, they can go ahead and give him a show. He's already got a radio show that nobody listens to. Why not a TV show that nobody watches? The reason this guy doesn't move the needle no matter how much TV exposure he gets is because people don't take him seriously. Because the black media has already educated them about exactly who and what this guy is. The white media sees how every time Big Bird leaves Sesame Street to go chase the cameras, he gets clowned by the new black media. The white media is trying to prop up their tools, put them on this or that show, and hopefully give them some instant credibility. Except these white media stations aren't giving people legitimacy. What they're doing is they're exposing who the tools are. And that's because we're out here smartening people up. So when you see these people on these major white media networks like MSNBC and CNN and what have you, 
if you don't see the white host attacking them, that means that they're a tool. And this is good. The white left tried to ignore us and it didn't work. The white right is trying to attack us and that will only backfire because it's gonna help to magnify our profile. We're too dangerous for them to ignore and at the same time too dangerous for them to talk about. We're not trying to be popular. First of all, because that's not gonna happen. The culture is based on hating us. And secondly, because power doesn't take opinion polls as to whether or not everyone should like what it does. Power simply acts in its own self-interest, no matter who disapproves. So for all you trolls out there who keep trying to tell us that we ought to vote Republican, this is exhibit A for why we don't. But if there is going to be a seismic shift in the black voter habits, I'll tell you right now, it's only going to happen after we get paid what we owe. After all, as our buddy Mark Robinson said, we are the benefactors of freedom. And that means they are in our debt. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Noel Williams, Najee95, Tamara Williams, Mikkel Smith, and Melvinia Miles. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Carolyn Bryant lived as an animal and died as a criminal, but she wasn't alone, not by a long shot. The two white men who were principally responsible for torturing, mutilating, and murdering a child then dumping his body in the river were put on trial, but naturally they were acquitted by their fellow white supremacists because the murder of Emmett Till had absolutely nothing to do with defending Carolyn Donham's alleged honor. It had everything to do with white supremacists indulging their sick, perverted whims. These animals kidnapped, mutilated, tortured, murdered a child, and dumped the child's body in the river. And then after the acquittal, these white supremacists went on to brag to the white media that they had done it. And as for Carolyn Donham, nothing was done to her at all. She wasn't punished, wasn't even arrested. But there were plenty of others who aided and abetted in the bestial crime of murdering Emmett Till. There is a complicit white supremacist government that has made it a point to protect the race killers who carry out genocides and various crimes against humanity in the United States. There was a warrant issued for Carolyn Donham's arrest for the abduction of Emmett Till, but because she was white, the warrant was never served. The authorities in Mississippi knew all about the warrant, but they refused to serve it. That's an important point. They knew about the warrant, but they refused to serve it. They said, well, she's got some children and we don't want to bother her because white privilege is the law of the land. And every day ever since, no government at the local, state, or federal level dared to touch her, not because there wasn't evidence, but because both the white right and the white left are in agreement when it comes to the need to use violence as a means of coercing and controlling black people. The murder of Emmett Till was not a tragedy for the majority of Americans. What it was, was a glorious message being sent to black people that they can be killed with impunity and the killers will be protected, that the bad guys are on code. Emmett Till was kidnapped. He was tortured, mutilated, murdered, and then his body dumped in the river. Now, does anyone believe that it had been two black men who were accused of any one of those crimes, much less all of them? 
that those guys wouldn't have been dead by sundown? Does anyone believe that if Carolyn Donham had been a black woman who helped and aided in the murder and torture of a white child, that any excuse would have kept her out of handcuffs, much less a prison cell? Does anyone think that if it had been two black men accused of mutilating and killing a white child that the federal government led by J. Edgar Hoover would not have been able to arrest or charge them? Remember, Jack Johnson became the impetus for the Federal Man Act, otherwise known as the White Slavery Law, simply because he had dated a white woman. As those of you who follow the black media know, the arrest warrant for Carolyn Donham was found last year. If the alleged issue was one of a statute of limitations, that could have been easily extended. All it took was severe accusations against Bill Cosby, and you had states from California to New York changing their laws to extend and in many cases renew the amount of time to go after people for sexual assault and what have you. And it was always black ones who they seemed most interested in going after. Both Republicans and Democrats alike pursued a hands-off policy with this piece of trash Donald was concerned. Up until a few years ago, most people didn't even know that this demonic beast was still alive. They just assumed that after so many decades, it must have died. And when its evil presence was discovered, people began demanding that this creature be punished for its animalistic nature. There were rumors that the original warrant for this creature existed, but of course the white media got on code immediately and began attacking the very notion that the search warrant even existed. And even if it did exist, the white media said, well, it's been so long ago. Even though there's no statute of limitations on murder, or in this case, abduction in relation to a murder, the white media didn't even bother to look into it themselves. As soon as they heard that black people were looking to hold a white supremacist accountable for harming a black person, the white media swung into action, and as a group, they began saying it wasn't possible. You, you can't do it. All of the white media coverage about the possibility of that warrant existing, and I mean all of the coverage, was of a uniformly negative nature. The white media didn't make any pretense that they felt affronted. They themselves felt threatened at the idea that this little white supremacist heifer could actually be held accountable for harming a black child. They seemed to take it personally, and they were on a mission that they were going to stop it. They would only talk to people who said that the warrant didn't exist, and even if it did, it didn't matter because, well, reasons. And then the warrant was found. The white media tried to question its authenticity, but it was soon authenticated. Now that the warrant had been found and authenticated, there was nothing to stop Donald from being arrested except the authorities just flat out refused to do it. They never gave a reason other than, well, it was a long time ago, which is no reason at all. It's the classic, I'm white and I say so. You had the case of Amy Cooper, the racist white woman in New York, who was caught on video making a false police report about a black man, and the DA's side van said he wasn't going to prosecute her, not because she hadn't committed a crime, but because she has genetic immunity from the law. Saying the exact same words sounded just like the sheriff who refused to arrest Carolyn Bryant. When have you ever seen the authorities tell a white family or a white person that they can't go after a black defendant? When have you seen them say, oh, well, there's just nothing we can do? When have you seen the white authorities refuse, flat out refuse, to arrest a black person accused of a crime because, well, they think that the person being accused was, that was just enough pressure for that was enough to be done. They break laws like they do with Cosby to manufacture a case on a black person to put them in prison. You hear almost daily about innocent black men who have been in prison for 20, 
30, 40 years or longer based on false accusations and DAs who withhold evidence or fabricate cases. So where was the Congressional Black Caucus at while this is going on? The Black Grassroots were talking about that warrant. Where were the Congressional Black Talkers at to go ahead and do a sit-in on the floor of the House of Representatives? Oh, they could do that for the LGBT community. And they were certainly furious and full of righteous indignation when it came to the treatment of illegal alien children down in southern Texas. The illegal minors who were being detained, you had Negroes like Elijah Cummings and Kamala Harris. Oh, they were just so indignant, full of indignation. I tell you, how could children be treated like this? Meanwhile, Emmett Till, crickets. And that tells you everything you need to know about your black misleadership class. Obviously, we don't have to ask about Merrick Garland. The less said about that scumbag, the better. And now this demon is dead, which was the entire point. People have known exactly where it was at. This animal was simply allowed to live out its life without anyone attempting to seek justice. We've seen this across the board. There were tens of thousands of black people who were kidnapped and murdered in the period between Reconstruction and the late 60s. There are black people who to this day cannot go back to the cities that they were from because the white supremacists who controlled those places in the 50s and 60s are still in control today. In many cases, those white supremacists who are kidnapping and killing black activists who were committing bombings and such are still alive. Joe Biden was mentored by some of those racist segregationists. And Donald Trump, he considered a number of them to be good friends. These are people who he was on good terms with. So you see the white right and the white left when it comes to anti-black racism, there's neither light nor air between them. Carolyn Bryant's not the last one. When you see a pattern of behavior across the board like this, consistent and defying any attempt to change or alter it, then you have to admit this is a policy at work. Everyone from the police to the prosecutors to the courts to the legislators to the white media, they all understand that there is an unspoken rule that if some white supremacist harms a black person, they are not to be punished. That's why on the very rare occasion that it happens, it makes international news. You can't compare anyone else's minor grievances to the overwhelming oppression that we have to endure every single day. And when these hate criminals murder black people, they are protected by the white media and the government at all levels. The murder of Emmett Till was not just a Mississippi crime. It was a crime carried out by the United States. If Emmett Till had been a white child and his assailants were two black men and a black woman, hell, if it had been two black men and still a white woman, then if the federal government saw that Mississippi didn't do anything about it, even after the trial was over, if they had made a confession in front of the white media, the federal government would have swooped in and said, we're going to put some charges on you for something. And it wouldn't matter if the doggone warrant was 50 years old, 70 years old, or 1,000 years old. The white media would have been talking to experts saying, oh, how extraordinary this is. This is like the Nazis. We're going after the Nazis. That's the comparisons that would be made. The white media becomes the PR team for these white racist killers, and the government becomes their defense counsel. You do not see any other group treated like this. Asians have never been treated like this in this country. They got a hate crimes law specifically for them. Didn't take an Emmett Till to get it done for them. And it didn't take decades for them to get it either. And they didn't have to march for years on end. They just asked for it once, and it was done. Hispanics have never been treated like this. They said they wanted legal immigration requirements waived. They wanted driver's licenses without having to be here legally. And New York, as well as practically every other major city in America and a number of the states, bent over backwards to make sure they could get it. 
They had Jews who were persecuted in Germany, but the U.S. government makes sure that if there's any Nazis out there that the U.S. can get its hands on, they get arrested. Trump said that neo-Nazis in Charlottesville were very fine people, and then he handed a Nazi over, the last known Nazi guard in the U.S., to be sent to Germany to stand trial. Oh, yeah, the guy had like one or two teeth left in his mouth. He probably didn't even know what year it was, but he's going to Germany to stand trial anyway. Yeah, with that Nazi that they caught a few years ago, there was nobody talking about paperwork. Nobody in the white media saying, oh, it was such a long time ago. Or, well, is there any evidence that he actually harmed anyone? There was nobody talking like that at all. Nobody trying to raise questions about it or say, well, memories are going to a long time ago. Nobody's around who remembers it. It's going to be tough. They weren't saying that at all. They were saying he was caught and he's going to get what he deserves. Nobody was saying, well, do you have any evidence that this guy harmed anyone? All that they had to do was say, well, he collaborated with those who did. Kind of like Carolyn Donham, huh? It was Donald Trump's own State Department who issued a statement saying that those who facilitated Nazi crimes and other human rights violations will not find a safe haven on American soil. Yeah, that's because they allowed the anti-black racists to have safe haven here. Because the government and all major media in this country are run and staffed by those very same anti-black racists. They don't tell these other groups that they can't do anything about people who harm them, so this is what you call color-coded law enforcement. This animal was allowed to remain on the loose because the U.S. government saw her freedom as a trophy for white power. And Carolyn Donald wasn't the only racist who committed atrocities here in the U.S. and was allowed to walk around free. There's other war criminals as well, and I call them that because we have been the subjects of a relentless race war for 500 years. And these other criminals are not being punished or even pursued. Not because there's no evidence against them, not because no one knows if the statute of limitations has expired, but because there is a vicious, open policy of protecting the perpetrators of anti-black violence in the U.S. By the way, these criminals are not just in the Deep South either. The draft riots didn't happen in Selma or New Orleans, they happened mostly in the North. Many, if not most, of the racial covenant towns were in the North and even out West. The murder of black people in the United States is a sanctioned act, sanctioned by the government. And if you try to punish the killers, you'll find that the harshest opposition to it comes from the U.S. government. Ahmaud Arbery's murder was caught on video. His murderers were put on trial, and that judge tried to cut them every break imaginable during the trial process. Some idiots try to give the judge credit for the sentence, but they fail to understand that Georgia law has some of the strictest mandatory sentences in the country. Those laws were written to expedite the mass incarceration of black people to make it where no matter what, a lighter sentence couldn't be given. Because police routinely refuse to question, arrest, charge, or to try non-black perpetrators. So in the case of Ahmaud Arbery's killers, once they were convicted, the judge didn't really have much leeway to reduce their sentence. But when the Biden White House found out that Ahmaud Arbery's killers had gotten life sentences and that these guys were going to be serving their sentence in those hellish Georgia prisons, that's when the Biden White House did what they thought would simultaneously score them some easy PR points and allowed them to cut the killers a break by saying, well, we're going to charge these guys with uh, something. Oh, you ain't got no charges for the murder of Emmett Till, even though you know exactly where this creature is at. But when it comes to about Arbery, all of a sudden, oh, well, we remember when we put our indictment slips out. We remember where the affidavits are at. But... They put aside the pretense and showed their true colors soon enough when Biden's DOJ went behind the backs of Ahmaud Arbery's family to cut the killers a sweetheart plea deal. 
It was an effort by the Biden DOJ to get them out of those hellish Georgia prisons and make sure they can serve their sentences in a cushy federal prison instead. If you can't keep these guys from going to prison, at least give them the best accommodations possible, right? For all of you Biden bots out there, this is your boy. Now, those killers had already been convicted in state court. So with that hanging over their empty heads, a federal conviction was a slam dunk. So why offer them a plea deal at all? You didn't have to. Why do it? Because the Biden DOJ was pursuing the policy of protecting the perpetrators of anti-black violence. If you can't free them, at least make things as easy for them as possible. This was going to be their way of circumventing that state sentence, put them in a federal prison. And when the family of Ahmad Arbery challenged the Biden DOJ in court, did Kristen Clark and her cohorts back down and say, oh, well, if the family's against it, we got to make sure we get justice here. So if the family says this isn't just, we won't do it. Is that what happened? No. They had told Ahmad Arbery's family that they were going to do right by them. It was only at the last minute, though, that the family found out that Biden's DOJ rushed to the courthouse and tried to get the judge to sign off on a plea deal before the family could stop them. They tried to run that doggone plea deal through as quickly as possible, ramrod it through the courts. Kristen Clark and her bootlicking pals had already signed and sealed the agreement. All they needed was for the judge to sign off on it, and they would be done. They could go ahead and get Ahmad Arbery's killers out of those state prisons and put them into some federal country club. But the family of Ahmad Arbery wasn't having it. They knew exactly what kind of anti-black racist they were dealing with in Biden's DOJ. The family of Ahmad Arbery dragged a reluctant white media with them to that courthouse. The Biden DOJ was caught out. The judge had no choice but to reject that attempt to derail justice, because that's what that was. It was supposed to be an end run around the Georgia conviction. The Biden DOJ, however, was forced to have to bring the case regardless, which wasn't hard because the case already made itself. And the killers got another conviction, but what they didn't get was to serve their time in a swanky federal country club. They're down in Georgia, doing the hardest time there is. Gregory McMichael, who's the eldest in that inbred gang, he at last report recently was moved to a medical prison in Georgia. His lawyers complaining about the unsafe and unsanitary conditions at the prison that he was previously at, and that his murderous client has a history of stroke and heart disease and anxiety and depression. Oh, poor baby. Tough crap. Do your time. But these are the lengths that this country has always gone to to protect those who kill black people. Nobody else is subjected to this. And that's why we must have reparations. That's why we're owed it. Now, what is the answer for a people who are inside of a country that allows them to be harmed, targets them, hunts them, kills them, and then the state protects the murderers? What is the answer for a people who are subjected to this treatment by the state? See, you can't compare this to anyone else. When the Jews faced persecution, they were aided in obtaining their own state, and it would never have happened without the diplomacy and political intervention of black Americans like Walter White, who persuaded certain African nations to drop their opposition to the UN recognizing Israel as a state. But even before Israel was formed, the Jews had already formed their own unofficial intelligence gathering and covert ops organizations, their own little networks. Read the book Gideon's Spies to get the lowdown on that. But their problem, of course, was that they were in somebody else's land. They were in somebody else's country. They did not own and control Palestine. The British did. Mostly what was going on prior to 1948 was the Jews wanted some early warning for the next time that some Arabs decided to throw rocks at them if they did a pilgrimage or something. That's mostly what they were doing. 
But when Israel was formally recognized by the UN as a state, this intelligence and covert ops network that they put together, it changed its mission. Now it went from being just about prevention of harm to actively going after those who did the harm. This network would eventually become the Mossad. The rest of the world had largely moved on from the Nazis and considered the Nuremberg trials to be the end of that matter. Nobody in Europe or the U.S. was looking for the Nazis. And, as we saw with things like Project Paperclip, the U.S. government had brought over a thousand German scientists, engineers, and technicians from Nazi Germany and put them to work for the U.S. government's Cold War military effort against the Russians. The U.S. government wasn't interested in chasing or punishing the Nazis, but the Israelis were. So they began scouring the earth to capture or kill the ones who had harmed them. But that was only possible because they had a safe haven to operate from. They had a safe place they could go to where even if you knew it was them, you couldn't do anything about it. All of those Nazis running over to South America, literally underneath the U.S. government's nose, but there was no effort by the CIA to go after these guys. The problem wasn't that the Nazis were untouchable. The problem was that the authorities of these countries, including the United States, didn't want to go after the reason that South American countries like Argentina and Chile became havens for these Nazis is because those countries also espouse and express the exact same white identity politics that the Nazis had. That's the reason why so many of them went to those places. Argentina bills itself as basically a European country in South America. And when you look at the basket case that Argentina's economy is, you see that they're right. A few years after the Israelis caught Adolf Eichmann, the Europeans were debating a law to place a statute of limitations on the Nazis' crimes. That's what they were doing just 20 years after the Second World War. You had the biggest war in the history of Europe, and only a scant 20 years later, the Europeans were trying to put in place a time limit on how long someone could go after the Nazis. Now, that effort didn't succeed, but even if it had, do you think the Israelis would have played along with that? The Israelis put the resources of their new state to work. They had a safe base of operations from which to carry out their plans. But we here in the United States, that's not going to be an option for us. First of all, we are in the land of the people who are attacking us. The Israelis were not in Germany carrying out their operations for the Mossad, the same way that they couldn't do it when they were in Palestine. We don't have some safe haven that we can go to where we can safely plan how to bring those who kill us to justice. We're in the belly of the beast. Secondly, the Nazis were fugitives. Adolf Eichmann couldn't go back to Germany and think that they would protect him. That's why he fled to Argentina. The problem is that the Carolyn Donhams and the rest of these racists, they don't have to flee anywhere. They're not fugitives at all because they're being protected by the very countries where they committed their crimes. For those hardheads who say that I give the Israelis too much credit or what have you, please have a seat. I am well aware of exactly what the differences are between the position of the Israelis and black people in the United States. These are people who don't study history, by the way. My point is that there's a very good reason, or rather a number of reasons, why the Israelis were able to capture and take Adolf Eichmann back to Israel, and they didn't have to fear anyone waging war on them or any sort of sanctions or anything else. There was a reason why they could go and kill Herbert Zerkers. That guy was a Latvian who was said to be responsible for the killings of over 30,000 Jews in Latvia. There was a reason why they were able to do these things. Kidnappings, assassinations. The European powers and the United States, they were not protecting the Nazis. They were simply uninterested in them. And the South American regimes that were actually interested in them didn't have the ability to do anything against Israel. 
But my point is that in order for things like what the Mossad did to actually be feasible, those who carry out such actions have to be sure that they're not going to be attacked by these other countries for doing so. The Americans and the Europeans were not opposed to punishing any straggler Nazis that were out there. And the countries who did oppose it, like Argentina and Chile, they didn't have the ability to punish Israel. When a country knows that someone has committed a crime and then refuses to punish them or to hand them over to those who would, that's because the government of that nation sanctions the actions of that criminal. That's what we're dealing with here in the United States. There are some black people who are lying to themselves, trying to make themselves feel better about the fact that this known accomplice, Carolyn Bryant, was allowed to remain free with the open complicity of the U.S. government. Emmett Till is called a martyr, and he is. But as black people, we don't need more martyrs. What we need is justice. Praising Emmett Till is fine, but praising a dead child doesn't change the fact that the murderer was never punished for killing him. This is not the time for us to be looking for ways to feel better about living under injustice. You are not free unless justice is done. And justice is the righting of a wrong. We have a right to be free, a right to be safe, and a right to justice when we are wronged. The whole world will deny us our rights if they can. The whole world pursues and persecutes us like rabid dogs. Well, the only way to deal with a wild animal chasing you is to at some point turn and face it. Justice doesn't just magically happen. A system of laws means nothing if the people who are supposed to enforce it are criminals themselves, and they use their positions to sanction or initiate violence meant to prevent the people who want justice from having it. This is why we are owed reparations, because the crimes against us didn't stop in 1865 or 1965, or 2008, or even today. We talk about things like the Tulsa Race Massacre and all these anti-Black racists, many of whom aren't white, by the way, tell us that, well, it didn't happen to anyone alive today, so Black people just need to let it go. And then when we bring survivors of the Tulsa Race Massacre to Congress and they demand reparations, you know what those same racists say? Well, um, well, it was a long time ago? So they don't say that because that's an actual argument. They say it because they are opposed to black people getting justice in any shape, form, or fashion. Well, we're not playing the statute of limitations game because these white supremacists don't obey their own laws. They don't have any morals. All they have is moral relativism and situational ethics. For them, what they're willing to call right or wrong depends on whether it will suit their perverted obsession with power. Well, we know what right and wrong is, and our definition doesn't change, because virtue doesn't change, morality doesn't change, justice doesn't change. We won't forget Emmett Till, but what we also won't forget is that this country protected and enabled child killers to remain free, and a bunch of other little Carolyn Donnells are still running around today, because they're allowed to, because they're protected. Emmett Till was not merely kidnapped, heinously tortured, and murdered by a few racists in Mississippi. He was murdered by the United States. Now, what should the punishment be for that? And that's this week's Friday Crime Report. Keep your eyes open and stay on alert, because there's a lot worse criminals out there than the ones the white corporate media chooses to show you, and who the white media and the government works to protect. Good day, and be one.
answers. What perspective do you think it was brings this conversation? You didn't know your son, you stupid motherfucker. This is some bullshit. This is real bullshit. That's a high IQ y'all got. He wasn't a loner. He had a job. He had a girlfriend. He was successful. And he only had anxiety. He only had maybe panic attacks. That's it. Oh, what happened to you? No, that wasn't it, bitch. She also did lose his son. And your son also did a terrible thing. And I just wonder what, how you deal with that. It would have been bad enough if we had just lost our son. And their blood is on your hands. And a majority of them been white, just like your dead ass son. listening to that whole segment about the Louisville bank shooter named Connor. I'm just going to call him the con man. We got to kill this racial double standard within the news media. Ever since I've been born, news media has demonized the black population in this country. And they just spoke so nice to his parents. It made him so human. Yet this motherfucking Connor, the con man, had a million dollars worth of whiteness and still went on a mass, mass shooting 
at his old job. They say his firing probably set him off. But this motherfucker's been having panic attacks for a long time. And then they didn't check him in. And because they didn't check him in, and because the carrot nose cave bitch mama just said, we thought we had a handle on things. Now, both of those parents have blood on their hands for the victims that their son took away. So not only did he ruin his own family, he ruined many others. From what I see, he did take a sister away from her family. And that's the only victim that I I feel sorry for. Too bad she didn't work at another bank. She had to work around this crazy, crack-ass motherfucker. But an old mentor told me back in the early 80s, the black population should have been putting foot and fist to some of these newscasters, anchors, and some of even all the stations, all the media stations, they're too anti-black. And this anti-black double standard, we're going to have to kill it before it kills all of us. I mean, I can't, I couldn't believe I'm up there. I mean, they did, they, they called him damn near an angel. Made him out to sound like a motherfucking angel. You got a million dollars worth of whiteness, but you couldn't even get yourself right. I would have had more respect for the motherfucker if he would have just took the $600, took his little AR-15, go out to his favorite tree or pastor and pop his own top. Don't take nobody else with you. That's the coward way out. Them people didn't do shit to him. But he was the con man. See? They hired him over me any motherfucking day. And I don't have a, a short fuse or homicidal uh, tendencies unless my family is threatened. Shit, get fired from a job? Fuck it. Go and collect unemployment when that runs out. But before it runs out, go find another job. It's as simple as that. Or go and make you a job. Be your own boss. That's what I had to do because there was no way I was going to be hired in to corporate. Now, I wanted to be a test driver, but uh, yeah, all the test drivers that I see around here driving those prototype cars, they don't look like me. And if I do see one, he's a tether. A black immigrant. Not a foundational black American like I am. This country is real fucked up. I can't wait till that dollar drops because see, what you white people don't know how to do that we've mastered is adapt. You don't know how to adapt. Sudden swings in your life tend to make you crazy. You jump out of windows, stand in front of trains. You do mass killings. You know, we had a couple of black ones that did a school shootings and everything, but a majority of these motherfuckers are on you Caucasians. But these Jew-ass 
own media outlets always seem to give y'all an out. And I'm tired of it. Hell, if I had one wish, I wish Al-Qaeda and shit would send some of them Afghans over here, which they probably are. They dorn them up a, a nice ass bomb vest and go into every motherfucking news station in this motherfucking country. And you hit those big three, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Kill them all. You're going to stop demonizing the black population in this country. And you are going to pay reparations one way or another. Didn't have any problem giving the Indians their reparations. And you didn't have any problem giving the Japanese their reparations. And this debt is still ticking with interest. So unless Russia and China, which I hope whips this country's ass, ruin this motherfucker. Because it needs to be raised to the ground and built correctly without white people at the head of it. Now, with that said, black family, watch over your elderlies and your babies. Keep your head on a swivel. Be safe out there.